<clears throat> so the Solomon Foundation, in a very short few words, is a way in which church people win by the interest they receive. The church wins as they are able to provide the facilities that they desperately need. And the lost win because churches who have taken loans with us have baptized more people than they did previously. But let's look at David. Without any cost, you're not all in. We tend to look at the short term rather than the long term. Back in the Middle Ages, a farmer woke up and found his horse had run off. A neighbor comes to him and says, oh, that's too bad, such awful luck. The farmer said, maybe. The next day, the horse returns with a few other horses. It had just kind of gathered up some others. And the neighbors congratulate the farmer on the reversal of fortune. And he says, maybe. When his son tries to ride one of the new horses, he breaks his legs and the neighbors offer condolences. And you know what the farmer said, maybe. And the next day, an army came through to draft and take young men with them to fight. But they didn't take the son because of his broken leg. And everybody was happy. And the farmer said, maybe. Do we look at the short term with respect to our lives? Or do we look at the long term as to what will be and also the eternity that God lays before us through his person, his son, Jesus Christ? Life is like a sine wave. They talked to this, talked to about, talked to me about this in math at one point, the, where the curve goes up and down and up and down. And there are valleys and there are peaks and there are valleys and there are peaks. Until that one day when that sine wave no longer is there and we are on a peak as we rise and we are in the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Which one do you look at? Which one gathers your focus? The downturn or the upswing? We look at 2 Samuel and we begin to see David. And David has been a great king throughout all Israel, famous and noted throughout the Middle East, a king of greatness, a king of battle. He had his times of humility, but he had his times of pride. And so one day, as we read in 2 Samuel 24, we see that he's wondering about some things, and he calls Joab, and he calls Joab to say, hey, I want you to do something. Go count all of the soldiers and the fighting men that we have. Joab says, why do you want to do that? Especially since there is no battle to be fought. It's a time of peace. David says, go. He gets the count and brings it back to David. And the number is insignificant, but it was a huge number. What was significant was the pride of David. God was upset and angry with him. Why would God be upset with him counting the troops? One, there was no need of the troops. Number two, as he counts the troops, he's thinking of 
the power that he has rather than the power that God has. And God's upset with him. He sends Gad the prophet, and Gad comes to him and says, uh, you've made a huge mistake. God's upset. And here's the message. You, need, you get to choose the punishment, and the punishment will be upon the people. If we've, which do you want? Three years of famine? Three days of plague? David was so upset he wasn't able to answer, and God said, okay, it'll be three days of plague. The plague comes upon the people, and people are dying. And then the prophet says to David, you go to the threshing floor of Aruna, and you buy that threshing floor, and you build an altar, and you offer a sacrifice there. So he goes immediately, and he says to Aruna, I need to buy this threshing floor. I need also some cattle. I need the wood. I need everything to make the altar. Aruna says, my king, I will give it to you. And David says, no. I will not offer a sacrifice unto the Lord my God that costs me nothing. And so he pays for the threshing floor, which in later years becomes the foundation for the temple. And he pays for the cattle, for the offering, and he pays for the wood, for the altar. He asked God to die in the place of the people, but God said, no, you will build an altar and you will pay the price. And he paid the price and he moved his chips all in, not holding anything back. And Jesus, the son of David, paid the price and he paid it all for each of us. He took the responsibility for us. The punishment of all our sin is laid on the shoulders of Jesus. He pays the price. He's obedient to the call and he heals the people. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Healing comes personally in a family, in a congregation, in a community in a nation when God gave his son and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The question this morning is are you all in for Jesus? I have run across in the 41 years of ministry in various locations and the culture in Tennessee, Upper East Tennessee Southwest corner of Virginia, Appalachia. The culture's different, but the people are the same. I go to Phoenix. The culture is different, but the people are the same. I go to California, and the culture is different, and the people are the same. Because all across from sea to shining sea are people who are hurt, hurting, in pain, dying, dying spiritually, and dying without Jesus as Lord. 
And the question then becomes for the church, are we cultural Christians who simply like being known as Christians rather than some of these other things that are out there that you could become? But we, we like being called Christian. Now, we sometimes don't really know what all that means. We then think of it as a particular worldview. But how does it shape us and change us? And how does this Christ become a part of our lives? Or are we just simply a part of this thing called the church? And we become a little bit curious about it, but not to the point where we push the chips into the middle, not even one or two. Because Christianity is my identity, a worldview, and we think everybody should be, but we really don't know what it means. And then in times of crisis, we come to the church because of a pain, a national pain, a community pain, a personal change. And we want to go back to where we think there is a foundation. But then there's also the consumer Christian, where our conscience is formed by the teachings of Jesus, by the things that we read in the Bible. And so we have a sense of right and wrong, and we have a sense of morality that exceeds that of our society. But it is still in a behavioral mode. It is a consumer mentality. And so what we see is people will be in worship when it's convenient. We will find ourselves serving when it's convenient, when it fits into our schedule. So we have other things that are dominant. Our recreation, our clubs, our associations that we're a part of. Our golf, our football, our recreation. But the quick key to that is the church becomes that which is convenient for me rather than the first thing that is a part of my life. Then it's circumstantial. Issues pull us away from worship and we allow the circumstances to determine our direction. It's the whole issue of what's urgent and what's important. And too often the urgencies of life take us away from what is important, our relationship with Christ. And we come to church and we want to be comfortable. We want to be comfortable in the whole experience. No pain, no sacrifice. I want to enjoy it, but I'm not ready to spend the time on it. Unwilling to commit. And we think of the church as what have you done for me lately? Rather than, what can I do for someone else? And what have I done lately? The church is here to serve me, to tickle my emotions. The music must be right or I go somewhere else. The programs must be right or I go somewhere else. The technology must be there or I go someplace else. I want to consume within the church rather than a commitment. The call of Jesus is to have the heart of Jesus, to have the servant's heart. 
which says, I follow Jesus. I confess him as Lord. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That which Peter stated. And Jesus said, upon that rock, not Peter, on that confession, I will build my church. And if I believe that, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then I will be your servant And the question is not what I want and what somebody else wants from me, but the question is, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to give? What do you want me to accomplish? What do you want me to sacrifice for you? You see, the sacrifice and the heart of sacrifice is it's done for others. Not to feel as a martyr, not to feel as though, hey, I did some great things. What do we accomplish? You see, you matter to God, but will you do what matters to God? Will you change what matters and allow Him to be what matters. Now I said, you know, we must not allow some of our recreation to dominate over the church. And my call this morning is to be like David and be all in. But let me clarify. I like to hunt. I've had some delicious elk. Never the set of anglers like that. That's what I like about this church. I think the last time I was here, there, were a, there was a bear here and a bear here, upright. And then a, I don't know what you would call me in between. Unless bait. I like to hunt. I've enjoyed it in the past. But here's the difference. The hunting didn't take me away from the church, but the hunting brought me in contact with the unsaved. And after five years of hunting with a gentleman who knew I was a Christian, we baptized him into Jesus Christ. When I was younger, about 70 years ago, I'd be playing softball. We had church softball teams. Here was the rule. 40% of that team had to be unchurched people or we didn't allow the team to form. As a result, we baptized men and their families into Christ. We even baptized a major heathen, the umpire, into Christ, he and his family. Now what's the difference? The person who is all in says, this is who I am. I'm an athlete, I am in the arts, I'm in music, whatever your interests are, but my interests are the result of being a Christian and being a person. They are not that which dominate my life. And so I am known as a Christian who likes to play softball. I'm known as a Christian who likes to play soccer. I'm known as a Christian 
who enjoys music. I'm a Christian who fishes. I'm a Christian who hunts. I am a man. I am a woman. But number one, I am Christian. And the people around me, as I seek out people to associate with who are not a part of Christ and not a part of the church, that I can associate with them that I might win one and that I might win one more and I might win one more. You see, the life that is all in, who is committed and who pushes all the chips to the middle, understands that there's no cost that is too great and there is no fear that cannot be overcome to make a difference for Christ and his kingdom. Come to the edge, we can't, we're afraid. Come to the edge, we can't, we will fail. Come to the edge, and they came, and he pushed them, and they flew. You have no idea what you can accomplish for Jesus Christ until you go to the edge and push in the chips step where only he can sustain you all in all in is the heart of a man who has a heart after God such as David all in to serve the people all in to serve the people who are not yet here those who do not know Jesus as Christ all in to bring them 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I will not offer unto you sacrifices that cost me nothing. In a time, a time of chaos, do you feel it in this country? In a time of chaos, it's the opportunity for you to go all in, to serve, to sacrifice, to grow in Jesus, so that why? You can reach another person for Jesus. Who has become a Christian because of your life? In a time of crisis, do you feel that? Yes, we do. We call upon the church. We call upon our leaders to carry to us the word. We call upon our leadership to encourage us. And we call upon ourselves to stand together and push the chips to the middle and be all in and be willing to pay whatever price is necessary. Because the cri crisis and the chaos will not go away, but it can be minimized by the gospel of Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ stands in an opportunity to bring calm in chaos, to bring calm in crisis, because we're not concerned about the ups and downs we are concerned about the eternity and we have that peace 
that passes all understanding because we stand with Jesus and we are all in and we can help people through chaos and crisis and instability as they come into the presence of Jesus himself. You see, going all in is how David saved his people. Going all in, you can become a lifesaver. Somebody in this community knows you. Somebody in this community, you can have an impact upon their lives that they know Jesus as Lord and Savior and find the gift of the Spirit and forgiveness of sin. Going all in, you're a lifesaver. Going all in, you save yourself. And this is the next step. By going all in, you will live the life that God has intended for you to live. There's no cost too great to walk with him. Going all in, you will make a difference in your marriage. Going all in, you will have a tremendous impact upon your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, your church, your community. In such a time as this, we need Jesus. And we need one more person and then one more person and one more person who goes all in for Christ and says, he is my identity, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, he is my King, and he is foremost in who I am. And as a Christian who's all in, I still hunt, I still fish, I still enjoy the sports, I enjoy my clubs, but all those around me know me first as a person of Jesus, as I go all in. You see, the world needs us, and the Lord knows what it will cost you to go all in. But whatever sacrifice you need to make to go all in, I am confident the price will be worth it. And then the question that haunts me as well. What is one soul worth? $500? A million? The sacrifice of some of my time and energy to serve in his church? To make an impact? There are people out there that only you can reach. Don't be on the sidelines. Push the chips to the middle because no cost is too great for my Jesus. And no cost is too great for your Jesus. Let's go all in. Our Father, you know what it costs us. You know what it will cost us. But you thought enough of us to send your Son. Father, help us discover 
what we can give, what we can sacrifice. That one more and one more and one more can find you as Lord and Savior. We seek your blessing this day. In Christ, amen.